This is the Dr. Mama Podcast with your host, Dr. Alice Kaufman. Welcome to the Dr. Mama Podcast. Welcome back, you lovely people. Welcome if you're joining us again or joining us for the very first time. This is episode 5 for December 31st, 2020. It's New Year's Eve! Woop, 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 <laughs> yeah, I just remembered that uh, the the uh, world's problems don't go away when it turns into 2021, sadly. <laughs> yeah, we've been thinking like, oh, 2020 was such a hard year. But unfortunately, all of the hard year doesn't end as the calendar page turns. It it sticks around and we, we've still got a lot of work to do, but we are making progress. And I think the world will be better someday hopefully well at least hopefully we'll have uh, a half decent new year next year right That's yeah i'm just dreaming of the day i'm gonna be able to walk into a patient's room without taking 10 minutes to like fully garb <laughs> beforehand <laughs> and when i'll be able to just come home and like hug my children without having to like fully cleanse <laughs> in a possible way i'm just looking forward to being able to go outside without fear that would oh be nice gosh. that would be really nice anyway we have one of the reasons that this year has been good, though, is because it's it sparked our this little project of ours. And um, I hope you're enjoying it. Um, if you are enjoying this podcast series, um, do remember to subscribe um, wherever you listen to your podcast, because if you do that, we magically appear into your podcast uh podcast place what's the right word app. your podcast app and it's magic and um you can also uh, follow us and uh, comment and like and all that lark um on instagram that so that was from my west country accent <laughs> from england wasn't it uh instagram or facebook or twitter uh, twitter twi- twitter um at dr mama podcast um and you can also get us on email which is dr mama podcast at gmail.com and we've been really loving hearing from all of y'all it's been so lovely so exciting to hear that other people are also enjoying this as much as we are or at least almost as much as we are which is just really happy because we've had so much fun creating this project and to hear that other people are actually enjoying it too i don't know it didn't really occur to me that anybody would listen and they are and they like (laughs) it which is great so yeah please Please do spread the word of anyone else you think might enjoy this or find this helpful or therapeutic or, you know, we found all the things, entertaining, therapeutic, all oh. the things. Um, anyway, talking about therapeutic and all the things, uh, we have a wonderful interview this week. Do you want to tell us more about it, my love? I would love to tell us more about it, to tell you more about it. Or to... I didn't phrase that correctly, but I would love to tell everybody more about this interview. Anyway. I wonder so if uh, the change of 2021 will make your language work better. Yes, I will suddenly become <laughs> fluent in English. Um, so this week's interview dovetails beautifully from our interview that we aired last week with Dr. Pat Moyer. So Pat and her family attended the same Quaker meeting where I grew up um, at Fresh Fun Meeting in Cambridge, Mass., and um, was a very good friend of the family. And Liz Baltaro, who we're talking with this week, is also a good friend for meeting. So she was born into the meeting that my mom attended in Rome growing up. And um, she's the generation between me and my mom. So my mom would have been a young adult at the time that she was born. But they were at the same quick meeting at the time. And then when Liz moved to Boston after some of her earlier adventures, she joined the same meeting that I grew up in 
at Fresh Pond in Cambridge. So that was when I got to know her much better, which was really lovely. So to give you a little bit of background on Liz, um, she did, um, before her medical training started, she did two years of Peace Corps in Ukraine. She then did medical school at Tufts University in Boston and family medicine residency at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill in North Carolina, obviously. Um, And she is now an incredible full-spectrum family medicine physician practicing inpatient, outpatient, everything, obstetrics, um, inpatient pediatrics and newborn nursery, really, really everything that her community needs of her in a rural community health center, um, rural hospital system in North Carolina. So we hope you enjoy the interview and we'll see you on the other side. Liz, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Alice. Good morning. Good morning. Um, So we want to start by just letting you tell us in your own words, what is your story of how you became a Dr. Mama? Yeah, so my name's Liz Baltaro, and I became a doctor mama when I was in my third year of residency. I was in family medicine residency at UNC Chapel Hill in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I became pregnant and soon thereafter uh, found out that I actually not didn't have one baby, but I had two babies, um, which was a huge shock, <laughs> so... So I became a double doctor mama. Um, Yeah. That's great. And did you always know that you wanted to be a mom? Yes. I think I've always known that I wanted to be a mom. Um, I can remember some thoughts that I had as a child in childhood where I, I thought that I wanted to be a mother probably before I wanted to be a doctor. And when did you know that you wanted to be a doctor? That is a great question. I did not have the most straight path to becoming a doctor, actually. I, um, I, I wasn't one of those doctors that I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be a doctor. I did know from a very young age that I wanted to try to make the world a better place and help people. And I feel like that is really my true vocation in life. And the, the doctoring part kind of fell into place later. I actually... Um, so I went to a liberal arts college, Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina, and um, I had a great experience there. I actually majored in religious studies and arts, and I joined Peace Corps soon after college. And I thought at that point that I wanted to go back and get my master's in teaching and become a teacher. I was kind of thinking of elementary education, and I went off to Peace Corps, and it was really through my Peace Corps service. And I was working as an English teacher in a elementary school in Ukraine, rural Western Ukraine. And it was really a formative time for me, those 27 months. And during that time, I felt like I realized that while I, I, loved, the, I loved the teaching and I loved that, I actually really was passionate about the people that came to me for assistance with health-related issues. And I actually got involved with some public health grant projects. And it just hit me that, you know, it was a it was a real passion of mine to try to help with health-related and also that I could be a teacher and also be in medicine. That's so wonderful. Um, when did, at, do you remember what age you were maybe when you realized that 
your pursuit of medicine and wanting to be a mom someday might make your pursuit of medicine a little more complicated or just a little have a few more steps in it? Yes. I mean, I think so when I when I went down the medical journey path, I wasn't sure that I wanted to be a doctor necessarily. Um, I remember thinking I, you know, I weighed a lot of different career options in the healthcare field. I thought about midwifery and nursing, nurse practitioner, physician's assistant. I was kind of thinking about the full spectrum. And I remember, um, you know, considering all the options and thinking of pursuing a career as a physician. And, um, and when I made that decision, I think it was in my first year of medical school, actually, that I watched a documentary that can't even remember the name of it right now, but it was a, I think it was a Nova special where they interviewed Harvard medical students and they actually interviewed them as medical students. And then it was like years, as the years progressed, they, they um, had interviews. I don't know if you've ever watched that documentary. Um, it's a really fascinating documentary. And Ben, my husband and I, we watched it together. And actually that was probably the point where, because a lot of those physicians, they, they ended up struggling. Like I think one of them got a divorce and they, you know, they, they actually all had, they actually maybe multiple of them got divorces. I can't remember exactly right now because it's been a long time since I watched it, but I just remember that we, it really evoked a lot of serious conversation between us about, wow, like what, <laughs> what is going to happen in our lives what are and we getting ourselves how, into? how challenging just having a physician career is. Yeah. <clears throat> Wow. And so at that point, were you thinking like, well, maybe we should wait to have kids or maybe this should be like kind of a more long-term goal? Yeah. I mean, I think at that point we weren't really considering having children when I was in, when I was a medical student and my husband was in graduate school. I mean, I think we already knew that we wanted to wait and um, we actually got married the year that I started my medical school training. um, Just, basically a few months before I started medical school. And so really we didn't want to have kids right away. I mean, we kind of knew that we wanted to have some space just for our marriage to, to blossom and to have each other and establish ourselves in our careers. So yeah, I'm not sure that was really an, an influence in and of itself. Um, and it wasn't just the motherhood piece that I think we realized would be difficult at that point. <clears throat> I think we were also realizing for the first time hmm, I think we were realizing for the first time that um, it would be difficult for Ben to pursue his career and for us to balance that in our relationship and for us to run a household together and for also, you know, just the difficulties on our relationship and on our marriage potentially too, as a couple. Um, I think it was the first time that a lot of things dawned on us. Like for example, Ben hadn't fully understood that when you match as a physician in the residency program, that you basically open up, I mean, you can match off cycle, but most people traditionally match by opening up an envelope on their match day. And that tells them where they're going to be. And I remember he looked at me and he's like, so you open up an envelope and you have to move there in a few months. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, that's how it works. And he's like, and it could be anywhere where you interviewed. (laughs) And you're like a really your partner like just a really horrible you. version of the sorting hat from Harry Potter, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for him, he just, and I don't think we'd quite put, put the logistics together of, 
you know, how challenging potentially this could be for a partner, especially a non-physician partner who wasn't really ingrained in the culture. And I mean, I was kind of verbalizing my, it myself and realizing like, yes, that's how it's, that's how it works, honey. Like I open up an envelope and then we have to move there three months later and I start work. And, you know, I just, yes, yeah, it kind of sounds, if you're not used to the culture, it kind of sounds weird, right? <laughs> I mean, even if you are used to the culture, it is kind of weird. It's, yeah, it's really hard in like February of your fourth year of medical school to be like, I don't know where I'm living in four months. And like, I don't know like what to do with my life yet. I can't, I can't plan anything. So I think it was always our plan to kind of delay um, starting our own family until we were a little bit more established. And actually it felt like kind of a leap for us to start trying to have a child when I wasn't quite done with residency yet. I had this sense that um, it might be more difficult for me to conceive because I've, I, I don't know if it's okay to share it here, but like I've never had regular cycles and I just, I, I was also not young. I started medical school when I was 27. And so by the time I was, you know, into residency, I was always in my thirties. And I feel like a lot of women, you know, we had, we have that kind of like, I kind of wanted to start my family before I turned 35. I don't even know why in hindsight exactly, except for, I mean, we're scientists and we know a lot about medical knowledge. And I think, you know, all of us as physicians have probably sat through those lectures where we look at the graph of how birth defects start going up at that age um, and the curve starts getting steeper. And so I feel like, you know, that probably sunk in like some of the medical information and facts that as physician mothers, we all sort of, we know too much, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I had this sort of like, you know, I want to, I want to start my family before the curve gets steeper kind of mentality before I like get labeled with advanced maternal age on my medical chart. Cause like, I know all the things that kind of like the perceptions that come with that on the back end. Um, maybe that was a part of it too. And so, um, you know, really, I, I don't even remember, I don't even remember when we really decided to start trying, but we started to, to, to like think about starting to try in my second year of residency when I think it, it started to feel like we were more sort of established in our careers at that point. And that had always been our goal. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so when you had started to try and you were really thinking like actively, like I'm going to be a mom, but I'm still in residency what were you thinking about kind of like how were you thinking anything at that point about how this might change your career as as a resident and as a doctor? Yeah, I was I had a lot of fascination when I was in medical school and residency in working alongside women doctors and women doctor leaders and um, mentors. And I really appreciated their being candid with me talking. I mean, I asked questions as a learner about how they juggled their career and motherhood. And I can remember still some very inspirational moments. Um, and also, I, I should say dads too, actually. I remember on my pediatric rotation, which was my first rotation, clinical rotation as a third year, that one of the um, physicians who I worked with was actually a father and he was a really passionate dad and also a leader of the clinical rotation. And I just remember some of the kind of small conversations or things that were said about parenthood. It really impacted me at the time. And I, I mean, I soaked that stuff up. I think I just was really hungry to hear more and learn more. And I was trying to digest. I mean, I think you can never really know what it's like to be a parent regardless of being a physician or what your career is, 
you can't really understand what it's like to be a parent before you have a child. It's not something that, I mean, I've, I've kind of struggled with that with my own friends now who have become parents over the past few years. And, you know, it's what do you tell someone to prepare or what advice? Like you can't, you just can't give any advice or explain or tell. Um, I have a really close friend who now lives in Durham, who has become a mother recently. And I remember just some conversations we had when I was already a mom and she wasn't. And, you know, I was just thinking like, there's things that she was talking about and I wanted to kind of interject, but like, you can't, you just can't tell somebody some of these things. Like it's really, I think something that you have to do experientially in life. And, and it's a really profound thing too. I mean, I feel like there's a huge transition from before you have children yourself and, and then after you have children and when, when you become a parent. And so I, you know, I think I soaked a lot of that stuff up and I was curious to ask and, but I don't feel like I really knew. I mean, I just think you can't really know until you go through it. So how was pregnancy for you? Like as a resident, did you have complications? Did you need to like find some support within your residency program to make, to make just pregnancy itself work? Yeah, it was really difficult. So I definitely had complications. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think having a twin pregnancy in and of itself is high risk. And so, gosh. um, So first of all, before I knew I was even pregnant with twins, I was having a lot of pregnancy symptoms and a lot of morning sickness. And it was even a physical challenge and struggle for me to just even do my job. So I kind of remember, I'm trying to think back now because it's been a long time, but I remember, um, you know, I was very, I think as a physician mother, you're very much like tracking everything and you know a lot about human physiology. And so I knew right away when I was pregnant, I had like bought the home test kits. And um, so I pretty much figured it out. And I remember around five weeks, um, I ran a 5k with my husband and I was pregnant. I didn't know I was having twins at that point. Um, but I actually had to stop in the middle of the run because I thought I was going to pass out and possibly throw up at the same time. And I haven't had, I mean, I've had some experiences with health issues myself where I basically, you know, felt like my body was out of control, but I had this vision of like, I'm going to have a healthy pregnancy. Like I'm going to run, I'm active. Like I'm a, you know, and so to me, it was really startling to like not even be able to finish this race, this like pretty simple basic race and have to actually stop. And like, I don't know, I just, I, and I was kind of thinking like, gosh, like what's wrong with me? Like I am barely pregnant. Like this is, that's weird. And that was just the beginning. Like I actually, and that, that sort of became a thing for me actually, is that I had really severe morning sickness. Actually, it was years, like a couple years after I had the twins that I was actually listening to a lecture about hyperemesis gravidarum. And I remember like hearing the medical definition, just like as a, you know, as a physician, they were, they were saying like, oh, the medical definition is, you know, you lose 10% of your body weight and you have very severe recurring. And I was thinking to myself like, oh my gosh, like I met the definition, I met the definition. Like I probably, like I probably needed more help at the time. Like I just wasn't I just, you know, when I was in the midst of it, I wasn't really putting it all together. And I never did get that diagnosis as a patient. Like, I think I just sort of like kept on going or tried to, but there were a lot of times in my clinical rotations in those first few weeks where um, I was actually on a pretty easy rotation at the time I was doing dermatology, which is, you know, the skin. um, And I remember that uh, 
it was considered one of the easier rotations in residency to do dermatology because it was pretty like normal hours and not a lot of after hours call obligation. And I even like in the clinic and dermatology was having difficulty. I would get dizzy first and I felt like I was going to pass out and nothing would even really be happening that should evoke that. Um, like not no stressful surgery, no stressful rotation. And I remember multiple times and I was really struggling to like keep anything down or eat. So it was very difficult at the beginning. And that was before I knew I was having twins. And yeah, and I also, um, you know, was trying to not take medications and try to delay things. And um, it's kind of funny looking back on that because I think going through all of that, and that was just the beginning of my pregnancy. I also subsequently had complications. Um, actually, the whole pregnancy was difficult. So I think the first trimester was difficult because I was very sick. I was actually very sick, like even into like probably like 16 or 18 weeks. I feel like things maybe started to level mm -hmm. off a little bit, but I was really sick, like for a lot of the pregnancy. And then right around the time that I felt like things started to level off, like I was in my second trimester and then I was on these night weeks of night shift. Oh. And those were really difficult too. I just remember like my belly started growing like incredibly quickly. And I was just in a lot of pain, like physical discomfort. I started having swelling. Um, I felt like every night when I got done with the night shift that like, I was like basically like outgrowing my own skin. It like hurt so much. My belly just like stung. And I just felt like my uterus was just growing faster than my body could stretch to fit it. And that was really hard. Um, and, and I'm a very like small petite person. So I feel like I would never, ever, like, I think at one point before I started my physician or motherhood journey, I might've told somebody that like twins would be my nightmare, <laughs> which is so funny that like I, ironic, maybe not funny, ironic that like I actually have twins. And a lot of women have told me since you get a lot of comments as a twin mom, like, oh my gosh, like twins, amazing. Like I've always wanted to have twins. And I kind of think in the back of my mind, like, why didn't you have twins? Like, I did not always want to have twins. <laughs> that was not on my life bucket list. I never even really thought that I would have twins. I'm a very small person. Like, why would I have twins in my body? It never really, I never thought of it as a realistic possibility. I was so blown away at that ultrasound. Actually, that's a funny story too, because I told the ultrasound tech, I don't even remember this. Apparently, like, I just started crying and... um my husband told me later, but he's like, you told the doctor they were lying multiple times. <laughs> Apparently I said I was crying and I just said like, oh no, I said, you're joking. That's right. I said, no, you're joking. You're joking, right? You're joking. <laughs> I must've said you're joking, I guess 10 times or so. Oh my God. And I just, I was really in a state of disbelief and shock, honestly. Um, and then let's see, third, third trimester was difficult. Um, so around remember exactly how many weeks I was but you know I really wanted to have I really wanted to try to have um like a I had sort of this vision I didn't realize I had these attachments with my own pregnancy before I started but I had this vision that you know I was becoming a family doctor and I would be followed by midwives slash family doctors I got transferred to the high-risk clinic I had a maternal fetal medicine OB obstetrician physician which is like a high-risk clinic um lots of ultrasounds and like testing and things happened in my pregnancy that I didn't necessarily foresee. In my last month of pregnancy, I had 14 ultrasounds. Oh my goodness. Um, so they found out when they were doing the anatomy and the growth scans that the there was a discordance between the growth of the twins. And one of my twins, um, now my 
one of my sons, <laughs> um, baby A at the time, he was much smaller than baby B. And essentially I learned in my third trimester pretty early on that um, I would not be able to have a vaginal birth and that there would be a lot of interventions as far as scanning and measurements. They were very worried about the blood flow through my placenta for the smaller baby. And so I, you know, I fit that into my residency schedule was I remember like popping down to the ultrasound suite while I was in the middle of doing inpatient medicine as a third year, like oh, kind of the, the chief resident on my service. So were and, you following um, at the same hospital where you were working? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I um, had our insurance plan in residency really strongly encouraged getting care, you know, within, I think a lot of, a lot of insurance plans these days are like that. Even my own now, I work as an attending physician for a community hospital and it, you know, to some extent, like there's incentives to get care within our own system, because yeah. I think there's an element of self-insurance going on. So um, I was in that boat in residency as well. And I, so I was getting care within my, you know, in my own, and I had, I gave birth at my own um, hospital where I was a resident. Wow. And, and I, I feel like a lot of people have, you know, they ask questions when about motherhood in general, and especially when you're a twin mom, I think you get asked a lot of questions just, um, and one of the questions I feel like people asked a lot when I was like around the times when the twins were babies was like, did you have them naturally? And, <laughs> and I just remember like fielding that question and thinking to myself, like, what does that even mean exactly when you're pregnant with twins these days? Like, I don't know that there's um, you know, I don't know that there's many twin mamas out there that actually have feel like they've had a natural, like, even if you do have a vaginal birth with twins, usually it's in an operating room and there's a bunch of people there yeah. and like an ultrasound. And I mean, there's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of monitoring, extra monitoring and interventions because um, a pregnancy with multiples is considered understandably higher risk and very few mothers that, I mean, I think you really have to kind of go off the beaten path to like have a home birth or have, I don't think many birthing centers will do twin, twin births. Yeah. So um, I did, definitely did not feel like I had the birth that I had ever envisioned. I mean, I never envisioned very quickly. I just was totally off of the path of anything I had ever envisioned about my journey to becoming a mother. But, you know, in all, all honesty, I feel like, um, I feel like it was a, in a way, great introduction to parenthood because instantly I felt like I had to let go of a lot of expectations. And I feel like you do need to let go of expectations in parenthood <laughs> because when you, part of becoming a parent, and I feel like this has also made me a better person in life too, in some ways, is that um, you embrace the uncertainty of another human being and another life that you do not have control over. Um, and if you even think for a moment that you really have control over that, I feel like you are just destined to be unhappy with everything about it. So, and I feel like I know some, you know, I know some women in my life who like, they really dreamed of having kids at a certain time and they did get pregnant right away and maybe have like the child or the birth order and the, um, you know, the sex of the baby that they envisioned or, but really I feel like even if all that falls into place, like there are elements about your children. I mean, it is not always going to be along the path of um, maybe hidden expectations or things. I think for me too, a lot of it was not necessarily things I realized that I had as far as expectations go. Um, yeah, I think they were kind of hidden down in there somewhere where mm -hmm. I didn't even realize until I was on the path that like, wait a minute, like 
twins were not in there as a vision. I had a hard time. I think a lot of mothers probably go through periods where they have to sort of break with their own hidden expectations of things. And I just, I mean, I just got that right away. I feel like right away it was like, wow, like I'm going to have to digest that this is two babies, not one. And that is like horrifying and scary to me on some level, but you know, there's no going back. Um, so it sounds like you did have a really hard pregnancy with the twins and um, there, there was a lot to take in, not, not just sort of like mentally, as you're saying, like, oh my goodness, I'm having twins. This is madness. Um, but also like it was complicated and you had, you were having all these horrible symptoms and the dizziness and all that. Um, how, how did you find your support from your co-residents and your colleagues? Um, how did you talk yeah. to them and like ask for like, this is what I, this is what I need right now? Well, I think like most physician mothers, um, I mean, just to be frank, I feel like we are really bad with self-care and putting ourselves first. And that aspect is really difficult. And honestly, I think I'm still learning, you know, <laughs> um, I, I think I'm still learning how to do that better and how to take care of myself. And, um, and I look back at that time period and I actually think I could have done it differently now. Um, I will say, so I, I have my twins who are now six and a half, and then I have a one and a half year old and things were very different with my one and a half year old. And I do feel like I, it was formative from what I went through with my, with my twin pregnancy and the experiences around that, that, um, that I was much better at sort of just sort of taking the reins of what I needed and not being apologetic, not being apologetic about it or, um, you know, feeling guilty. Um, I think with the twins, it was harder. I will say that my residency program director was highly influential and just wonderful. She herself had had a complicated pregnancy, not multiples. Um, she had had preeclampsia and had also um, given birth prematurely with her second child. And she, um, she shared with me a little bit, you know, in a professional way about her experiences. It was really formative for me. She was also um, really understanding. I mean, we still had to work within the ACGME accreditation for residency and our program, you know, was very um, strict about the rotations and the requirements essentially that we had to meet. I guess all programs are that are accredited. And so um, there were definitely parameters that were kind of made clear to me. Like I, you know, you can't take more than 12 weeks off of a residency year without your residence, without your residency reporting it. Um, and so I was very aware with that as I kind of planned. And honestly, it you know broke my heart that I had to take a lot of time off before the twins came for the ultrasounds and for medical care for myself, because I really wanted to utilize that for my maternity leave. And I did not have that. I did not have um, the maternity leave I envisioned either with the twins. And actually at the time, and I still think this, that it's really unfair that women that have multiples do not get any additional maternity leave in our country. I think that's just wrong because if you had children at different times, you would get to have more than 12 weeks. You would get to have 12 weeks for each episode, you know, for each child. And 12 weeks is not enough as it is. And when you go through having multiples, you, I mean, I, I don't know any mom out there who's had multiples that, I mean, it's harder, it's way harder. 
Um, I, can I say that? I think I can say that. I, I think you I can definitely say I, that. I've never started mother, my motherhood journey with just one child. I don't have that experience. So I almost feel like I'm not qualified to say that. Um, I have had one baby, but it was my second, you know, my second go round. So um, I feel like it's not a fair comparison, but, and I know that even there's a plenty of women out there with just a single baby that have a really hard intro to motherhood and a lot of complications too. So maybe it's not fair to say that, but I think I will say I think that, it's probably um, very fair. I can't imagine <laughs> like I had enough trouble with one baby and I had like a very, a very straightforward pregnancy and like he was born full term and breastfed fine. And, and she's great. She's doing wonderfully. And I cannot imagine if there had been two of her who both wanted to nurse at the same time and wouldn't sleep. And uh, I, I, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy enough with two kids at a different age. Uh, honestly, you're a hero. I, I yeah. couldn't. <laughs> I am very, very impressed by anybody who has multiples. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I think it also helped me that I knew this, I knew this woman who was at Duke family medicine residency just a few years ahead of me who actually had triplets in residency oh my she God. was I mean that was like my inspiration at the time um and she was like great she was an amazing doctor and she was happy and her kids were healthy and I remember thinking I kind of like channeled my visions of her many times like thinking like you know like somebody did this with triplets so like I got this um yeah I, I don't know I I I can't remember all of the conversations and things, but my residency class was very supportive and, um, and they, I mean, they still are like, we still keep in touch and have a group text and, um, I have, oh, I have an amazing relationship with my, with my, um, nine residency classmates and, and still, um, feel connected with the program director that I had, who's actually now a chair. And, um, I, I felt really, I felt like my residency program really did me right. And they, um, were very caring. And then also there were a lot of faculty and mentors who checked in with me and just even little things. So when the, not just the pregnancy, but the initial intro to motherhood was very hard too. My, my twins were born early um, via a cesarean that was scheduled because of concerns about baby A's blood flow and health. And his blood had actually started kind of going backwards in between my heartbeats. And they were very worried about his growth. Um, and he ended up being half the size of his, about half the size of his brother. And then they were in the NICU. Both of my babies were in the NICU for exactly a month after they came. That was also a very hard period. I actually went back to work in my residency program. I pushed for that because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have as much time at home with them when they came home. And um, I, I actually was really impressed that they, you know, made space and allowed me to do that. Um, so I actually went back to, and I worked as a physician while my babies, like really soon, I think about, I think about that. I think about the fact, like I just had twins and I was going back to work like around two and a half weeks after a cesarean. And I was like trying to pump for them and I was going to the NICU and I mean, just, just wild times really, um. And it was also emotionally the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. And how was that with your husband and with your emotions? How, what, what did you use to kind of to cope emotionally so that you're able to perform this really demanding job going back to work as a resident? Well, I will just give a big shout out to lactation consultants because I feel like they sort of were like my counselor slash like much more than just lactation support at the time. I actually feel like I had um, I had some really excellent lactation consultants who like really provided great support beyond far and beyond 
just breastfeeding support at the time. It was kind of mental health at the same time. Um, how did we cope? I mean, I think we coped in very different ways with what was going on. Like, I think uh, my husband actually he sort of channeled some of the some of his emotions through anger, and and um, and and I think I mean I just. I was very emotionally fragile. I mean, I think as you are when you're a brand new mom and especially I think being separated. So I, I really thought that I was going to come home with at least one baby. It was really kind of surprised to me that my bigger, like good sized, you know, help kind of what I had thought of as healthy baby. He had a lot of respiratory difficulties, which was a total surprise, just, you know, difficulty transitioning. And he ended up getting intubated and needing surfactant and, he was on a CPAP for a long time, and that actually interfered with our ability to kind of start trying to latch and hold. And he had a lot of respiratory difficulties, and that was unforeseen. Um, and so when when we came home from the hospital, um, I I think actually it didn't really hit me until it didn't really hit me until the night before I was going to be discharged that I was going to actually go home with no baby, and that was probably. Yeah, I mean, I, I to be honest with you, like I just I've never cried harder than than um, than that in my whole life, and I don't. I mean, I probably will. It's maybe I don't know. I, that was really hard. I feel like I just how did I cope? I mean, I was just a ocean of emotion. <laughs> um, I think I cried. I cried rivers, and that was um, that was really that was really difficult for me. And but I think it's also under it's totally natural and normal. Like I see that now as a physician looking back on it, like. I was grieving, you know, like as a, as a mother, you are not meant to be separated from your baby. And if, when you are separated from your, you know, newborn babies, like every hormone and I mean, it's just, it's a normal thing, right? Your hormones are totally designed so that you, you want to bond and be with this baby and to not have that, like to have that taken away or to be separated, it is devastating. It was very informative for me as a physician, because I think up until that point, I didn't really realize, like, I, I also was delivering babies. And um, I'd had moms that had to have, you know, their babies transferred to the NICU. And I don't think I'd ever realized what a wound it is for a, a mom to be separated from her baby. And even now, when I do care, and, and actually, just recently, I was on call, and I, I do newborn nursery care, and I um, had to do a NICU transfer for a baby. And I approach it totally differently now that I've been through it myself. I feel like it just really put a fire in me having gone through that experience to um, understand the devastation that a mom will experience emotionally when they are gonna be separated from their baby unexpectedly. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it was, what I felt was, it was natural. It's what all moms feel most likely when they're separated from their baby and they weren't anticipating that. And how, during that whole time where you had all of those very, very clearly natural and, and appropriate emotions, but a lot of emotions and you were working, how did that affect your relationships with your patients and, and your kind of your work as a doctor while you're also going through this incredibly emotional experience? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think like, like many physicians do, I really, I compartmentalize a lot. I still do. And so I think I was able to kind of compartmentalize my emotions and sort of keep things separate. And um, that is, you know, an aspect of professionalism with medicine that I feel like I, I, I learned 
it's learned and um, it is, it's helpful. I think it's also, it also is difficult too, because it means that you don't necessarily process everything together. Um, but I also, you know, I think it's just a necessity in some ways. So, um, and actually I would also say that it really, while it was difficult, I think because I went through so much hardship with just worried if my babies were going to survive and, um, like the initial separation, I actually felt like in some ways being at work was kind of the easy part. And like, like a lot of things that I feel like I've, I've, uh, seen colleagues struggle with in terms of like coming back to work when their their, their maternity leave has ended or struggling. I, I feel like those to me didn't feel in, in a, it, it's all relative, right? But I felt like in my experiences, I was so worried that my babies were actually going to die for a while that I actually felt like coming back to work and trying to balance taking care of patients. And um, I don't know, that didn't feel so bad to me. <laughs> Yeah. There was some and, element of normal life going yeah. on. Something yeah, and I, I think I also felt just a sense of gratitude at, to some extent that like my babies were doing okay and they that like everybody was alive and yeah. Yeah. And were you able to, your babies were in the same hospital where you were working? Yes. So were you able to like go and see them between rounds or something or? Yeah, I mean, actually, when I went back to work, I was mostly doing our clinic, which was not in the same building okay. as the hospital. So our ambulatory center was separated from the hospital by by a short distance. So um, I, I wasn't in the same kind of clinical space with them. So I couldn't just pop over and see them. It was pretty um, separate. I didn't do inpatient rotations for a while until after they were out of the NICU. Okay. Um, but it was, I guess it was on some level um, nice to have a sense of familiarity with the institution they were with. I do remember, so just one example is the NICU in the hospital where I did my residency, they didn't have a lot of border rooms, which are the overnight rooms where parents can stay. There was just a few of them and they really prioritized them for parents that um, had their babies that were maybe on comfort care. And, you know, they, they prioritized them for the families that really needed to be there or like babies that were getting ready to go home and they were trying to do a lot of teaching. And so I felt like for a while, um, I didn't really have the options to stay overnight in the border rooms, but I did actually have many nights I can remember where I actually slept in our inpatient call room <laughs> so that I could be in the hospital so that I could actually go and try to breastfeed them like at their scheduled feedings during the nighttime when we were trying to work towards them coming home. And so I actually had that luxury that, you know, other moms would not have had of actually having a place to sleep in the hospital. And my residency colleagues, of course, were very, you know, open and supportive to that. So I remember doing that and our residency call room had like a little tiny shower stall and it wasn't night, you know, it wasn't like fancy or anything, but it's really anybody who slept in like call rooms, they know it's like yeah. nothing special, but we had this like little tiny bathroom and shower. And so I actually had like this little place where I could go, you know, my badge like got me in there. And that was in some ways a privilege because not all NICU moms would have had that option. So. Um, so I'm interested to know, you said you learned quite a lot, obviously, from, from the first pregnancy into the second pregnancy. Um, and so there were many situations that were different. Um, not only that you had, it was one, one baby, <laughs> but also, yes. Uh, you know, you were beyond residency at that point too. So you're a different place in your career. Um, I just wondered how, 
how that second pregnancy compared and uh to the first and the things you how things you learn and the difference the difference in support when you're now past residency like how was that experience yeah well my second pregnancy was was just really great in comparison <laughs> i was so relieved by the way when i went in for my ultrasound and my husband was like tell he was like tell the tech, make sure they look around really well in there. <laughs> Just one heartbeat. Make sure they really <laughs> confirm. Yeah. I actually, I got an ultrasound pretty early in my second pregnancy because I was having some bleeding. And so I actually ended up, I have O negative blood type. So I, you know, freaked, I actually had some pain and bleeding and I kind of freaked, freaked myself out a little bit because I'm O negative blood type. I was like, oh no. And it was of course, like while we were traveling and yeah. I hadn't even established prenatal care. So I had um, I had an emergency room visit that was kind of unexpected. I knew I was pregnant and it was really early. And so um, it was like at that point where I was having my first ultrasound and um, in that context. Um, and but then actually, you know, so so the beginning was also like, you know, not totally a breeze. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually had a I got diagnosed with a subchorionic hemorrhage. I thought it was miscarrying, actually, um, because I had pretty significant pain and bleeding. And, um, you know, it seemed logical, but actually um, I didn't miscarry and um, went on with the pregnancy and it ended up like the rest of the pregnancy. So I, I, I think I just was, again, like, I think I said it, I was kind of unapologetic and just took better care of myself. So just right off the bat, when I started feeling sick with my second pregnancy, um, I, the very first time I vomited, which was probably around week, like six or seven or something. And I just, instantly knew that like I was going to just take a prescription anti-nausea medicine. I'd kind of gotten there with the twins and it helped so much when I finally got there, but I, I prolonged it because I like tried all these, you know, herbal over the counter. I was really trying like not to take any prescription medicine. Um, but then when I got there, it made such a big difference. And so with this pregnancy, with my second pregnancy, it just right off the bat, like I, <laughs> I remember I just like, like talk with my doctor and I was like, just prescribe me the medicine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, she started going through the like, well, you know, the risks. And I was like, I know the risks. Like, I just, just give me the medicine. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I think I just, at that point, I just knew what I had been through. And I knew I wasn't, I knew, I felt like I knew my body well enough at that point that I wasn't going to play around with like weeks potentially of like getting dizzy and passing out. And like, I just didn't want to even take my chances at that point. I just knew I felt like I'd kind of been down that path of like trying to avoid intervention. And I was just like, nope, like in the grand scheme of things, like I need to feel good and I cannot be like, I'm just not going to play around with like not feeling well. And so <laughs> I just, and you also I mean, I guess that's a good example. Of how that was that? Also, sorry, you also had two toddlers at that point too. Yes. So you needed to be able to not only do your job, but taking care of these two kids while being pregnant, it's very understandable. You just need to be able to feel well so you can function. Yes, I was a full-time attending physician at a small community hospital, also working in a really busy outpatient practice as a primary care doctor myself, full scope, providing prenatal care, lactation support to moms and babies, doing inpatient pediatric hospital weeks with newborn nursery. I mean, a high intensity job, full-time, I also took on um, being medical director. So I was in a leadership role. And I also was a mom to two four-year-olds and my husband is a full-time working dietitian. So, you know, we have a lot going on in our lives. So yes, I mean, I think at that point too, I just like, I, 
I wasn't, I wasn't willing to, um, I just wasn't willing to, to like accept any, if I could have any help at all, that would make me feel better. I was just going to take it. (laughs) Um, I wasn't kind of even questioning that. Um, so, so I think that helped me in some ways because I felt like I just, you know, I just was able to kind of unapologetically sort of um, do what I needed to do. And I had the knowledge base to just do that at that point with confidence. And that felt really good. And it, I had a much easier time with the pregnancy. I mean, I never, I think a lot of women with their second pregnancies, they feel like they get bigger, faster. And I mean, for me, it was like, oh my gosh, like, this is so manageable. Like I, <laughs> I felt so small. Like I remember my second trimester being like, wow, like everything is going so slow. Like the, <laughs> my, my tummy's like just so slowly getting bigger and like no swelling at all. Um, just a lot of the things that I had experienced in terms of physical discomfort were not like I never got really bad reflux. I never had swelling. I never had pain like I did with my twins. So it just felt physically so much easier. Um, and, you know, the job, the job and having four year olds and like my life in many ways was not easier than it had been in residency necessarily. I mean, I wasn't a resident, so that was easier. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I still, I still um, was balancing a lot and, and honestly, like being a mom to two four-year-olds and having a full-time job and a full-time working husband, like that's a lot. So um, we, yeah, we, yeah, it was just, I would say in some ways, like there was still a lot of, a lot of difficulty in terms of just, but, but I had a much easier time taking care of myself and, um, and then, you know, pregnancy went to term. Um, my third son was actually born on his due date, which is really rare, but it yeah. was in a way perfect. Like I worked all of my scheduled clinic. I got everything done in my electronic health record. Um, and then I went into labor the next morning, which was kind of incredible. And I ended up V-backing and I had a vaginal birth. And I um, actually, I thought I was going to have a really long labor because all the women in my family have generally pretty long labors, but I had a really like fast labor. Um, and the pushing part was along, but you know, it was anyway, all of that, like, I just, I felt like I kind of got the things that I sort of thought I would have becoming a mother. And, um, it's still, and that was also a good experience because still even like getting the things that were more aligned with my expectation, my hidden expectations, it was still very hard. And I also wouldn't say that, you know, it was like the it was like the perfect birth by any means. So there were still complications in an, you know, just in a regular, I I mean, can you say a regular, like in a, in a vaginal birth that went to full term with a single baby, I still felt like that was very hard in many ways. So that was also helpful for me to realize like, wow, a lot of the like difficulties I went through with my twins, I had thought like, this is because I'm having twins. This is because I'm in residency. And I think having my second birth experience helped me realize like, no, actually a lot of these things, like, you know, I I felt very emotional after the birth of my second child. And I was able to realize like, oh, like maybe a lot of those emotions were not because I had twins in the NICU, but were actually because like all new moms have those emotions, (laughs) (laughs) like big emotional fluctuations in the first seven days after birth. Like, oh, that is just something that happens. So it was helpful, I think to have that second experience. That's really, that's really nice. And two very different experiences to be able to kind of like compare and and just feel the difference, but also feel the similarities. Mm -hmm. 
I want to know going back and then with, with both of your deliveries, I know you said that you were working with lactation and you were working on breastfeeding and pumping. How did you manage to fit pumping as well as everything else into your schedule as a resident? And how was that different when you were in attending? Yeah, it was very different. Um, well, I would also just say as a big, you know, disclaimer on all this, that breastfeeding and pumping for multiples is really different than breastfeeding and pumping for a single baby. Um, and so my experience with the twins, I think was not just, you know, the residency piece. I think it was also the piece of, I was, I was lactating for multiples. Um, actually one of the best advice that I got personally was from a, um, OBGYN who I had met with before birth. I think my advisor put me in touch with her and she had had twins and was an attending at our hospital. And I didn't know her very well, but I still remember our conversation. And she actually told me, which really shocked me at the time, but she told me, um, I want to tell you something. You do not have to breastfeed. She's like, I, you don't, she's like, you just don't you know, I, I want you to hear that. Like, especially like you're a resident, you're having twins. <laughs> it really stuck with me and actually it was kind of helpful to have that recollection of somebody, that voice, because I do feel like in many ways, my pumping and breastfeeding experience, like kind of failed in a way to live up to what my hopes had been for it. I feel like a lot of moms who are physician moms probably feel that way. It is I mean, it is impossible to like, think about what we do, you know, like I'm just thinking about a moment when I was in my third year of residency where um, I was the chief resident on the inpatient service. My twins were a few months old, we were rounding. And then one of the patients that we were rounding on actually had a rapid response and actually ended up, um, he ended up dying. <laughs> and, you know, we were with him for probably like two hours and I, I did not think once during that time, like I am late to pump, like I, my breasts are engorged. I need to, but they were, you know, but I wasn't thinking, you know, you don't think about going to the bathroom or taking care of your own bodily functions when you're in the role. And again, that's like the compartmentalization, right? Like we, we all know that we need to take care of ourselves as humans. And I think self-care is really important, but I think when you're actually in the moment of like a clinical scenario that pulls you in, you kind of go into that like doctor sort of doctor kind of fight or flight mode um, with, with your hormones and your body. And you just don't think about your basic needs even like you forget about the fact about whether you need to eat or in the moment, there are just a lot of scenarios like that where, I mean, there's certain scenarios where I feel like you can, you can sort of put yourself first and should. But then I think there are other clinical scenarios where you you just don't. I mean, you just don't, right? So I felt like there were, um, you know, there were plenty of moments like that where um, it, it just made it very difficult to, um, you can't, it's a job, but many women in our country have jobs like this that, you know, they just, it, it's not conducive to um, regular pumping and lack, it's not conducive to what would be an ideal breastfeeding and lactation schedule, right? Um, it's just not. So I think um, 
I think I did very well in hindsight when I think about it. I had premature babies um, who had really a lot of difficulty with latching. I wasn't able to do a lot of skin to skin or even attempt breastfeeding in at the very beginning, which is ideal. We all know as physician mamas that that's ideal for having a higher success with breastfeeding. My milk didn't come in for a long time. I mean, probably because I was separated and couldn't do a lot of skin to skin because my babies were sick. So, you know, I think... I think that that was that really complicated my lactating relationship with my babies. And I think in many ways, I, you know, was, it was a grieving for me, because I think I had to let go of the fact that, you know, everything that happened, things that were out of my control, were not going to result in what I had hoped for. And um, so I did a lot of pumping. Um, I also think it really helped me as a physician, because I did everything to feed my babies. Like we, we did formula, we did like the like we did mixes for each of the babies with like the 22 K Cal, the 24 K Cal. That's when you, you know, make the formula higher calories to help them grow. So we were doing um, different like mixes for different babies. Um, I was pumping breast milk. I was trying to latch my babies. So I did basically everything, <laughs> like any way you can feed your baby. I felt like I was doing it. And I actually felt like it was very helpful for me because, you know, just actually going through the mixing of the different, um, formula strengths. And I mean, now I feel like I am very well suited and educated from my own experiences when I talk to moms about different feeding scenarios. And I feel like I've kind of done it all. And so I can really, um, I can really engage with them because I feel like I have that experience um, in my own motherhood journey. And so it was really helpful in some ways, although at the time, you know, I, I, there was no way I was making enough milk to keep up with them. They, they ate a lot, especially my baby that was behind on his growth. Like he ate a lot. Um, like even as a, just a few weeks old, when he just came home from the NICU was eating like eight ounce bottles. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, and you know, we just did a lot and I did, we honestly, like we used a lot of formula and it was really helpful to have that memory of the, the mom who'd said like, you don't have to breastfeed. So I kind of had that, like, you know, like anything that I'm doing right now is like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you said, and I, I did pumping. Was that carry on, carry on. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I, I actually made a decision when my twins were six months old to stop pumping. And I remember that day too. I was in, I was in residency, like in between different clinical rotations and I was trying to pump in my car in the rain. And it was just really, it was so difficult at that point. And I felt like I wasn't getting a lot of breast milk. And I kind of was just like weighing everything, practically speaking. And it was kind of a hard moment for me, but actually a wonderful moment where I just had this realization that I was going to stop pumping and it was okay. And I did. I stopped pumping for the twins when I was six months and, um, and they were, you know, doing great at that point. And, and then with um, my second pregnancy, I felt like I was just much more, um, like, for example, I, I just was much more unapologetic and I, like, I just kind of made, I took charge and made space to pump and breastfeed kind of no matter what. Um, I did a lot of, I actually pumped a lot in my car while driving, <laughs> which I had never really done with the twins, but um, I, I made myself a setup and I, that was actually one of my like favorite things. And I kind of like every time I was driving while pumping, I did a lot of driving while pumping when I was, um, with my second go round. And 
I just remember thinking like, gosh, I hope I get pulled over. (laughs) (laughs) I never did, but I, you know, I was kind of thinking like, you know, wouldn't this be like, somebody should like witness this and I just like them to pull me over and see what my life is like right now. But, you know, I just, I think in general, I, um, I just did what I needed to do. And in clinic, like, I think before where like, if I was running behind, I wasn't maybe as, as good as I, as skilled as I am with time management, like I am now in clinic. Um, I've gotten much better with time management and clinic and more like able to, to kind of take charge of, of time. And I, you know, I, even if I was running late, like I would take my pumping slot and I would pump, like I pumped, I had a, I had a schedule that I stuck to, um, much better second, second time around. Cause I just like, even if it made me late or even if it took away from some of my patient care, I just did it. And um, I just kind of did it because I knew that the alternative was that I would, and I didn't have, you know, since I wasn't in residency, I honestly didn't have as many of the experiences where, um, I mean, I think I had a few, but I didn't have as many where it was like, I was taking care of somebody who was dying for two hours type of thing that came up, like the real kind of emergency. Um, I did have a few when, during my call weeks that made it challenging, but it wasn't on the level of residency. So I think that also helped too. And then were you able to kind of, because you had a more regular schedule with pumping and because you weren't attending, were you able to continue that breastfeeding relationship longer or did you stop it six months or how did that end up going? Yeah, actually, um, I feel like I didn't wean Nico that long ago. My, my third baby, he, um, he was breastfeeding, um, until, so let's see, I weaned him in August and now it is November. So just a few months ago. So it's, he it's was December, well just telling you that now we're recording like in the middle of December. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Don't worry. I think this is, this is probably the pandemic times, but like I have this really weird. November, like, and I was like, oh yeah, it's definitely November. <laughs> I'm, I totally meant to say December. <laughs> but I actually, I feel like I've gotten time, time intervals, like mixed up a lot lately. I feel like we're still in like the, you know, hundredth week of March or something yeah. so weird it's these days, March but never ended this year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, you're right. It is December. Look at that. Christmas is not that far away. <laughs> yes. So, but it does, it still doesn't feel that long ago that it was yeah. August. So, um, so a few months ago I stopped, I stopped breastfeeding, um, my third child. He's one and a half now. So he was, uh, he, let's see, he was like one and a quarter when, when I stopped. So yeah, um, we definitely went beyond a year and it was a very different breastfeeding relationship. Like he, um, he, we did a lot more like actual, I mean, I think with multiples, you just by default, it's more efficient to kind of pump and bottle feed. It's very difficult to, I mean, I had these visions of like, oh, you like latch both, both babies and you tandem breastfeed. And I think anybody who's like really breastfeed, I, I did do a like I did do that sometimes, but it's very difficult. Actually, I felt like the stars had to kind of align for me because my babies were very different breastfeeders. And like one of them was kind of like a more of a like snacker kind of tapas feeder. And my other one was like a very different. So, you know, just like it was really hard for yeah. me to think about breastfeeding them at the same time and like <laughs> taking care of their two different latches at once. And so I felt like we did a lot more sort of bottle feeding and I did a lot more pumping. And this time around, like when you just have one baby, like I don't know, just way simpler. Like I could do a lot more latching and it just, yeah, much less to worry about. 
Um, so we did a lot more latching and that was really gratifying. And yeah, so I think it was a very different, different experience. And he also, I think, I mean, I, all three of my, my kids are really different personality wise. And I feel like he just was, um, um, he was, it was him too, right? Like he was just also much, much easier baby to breastfeed. Mm -hmm. He was full term and, you know, some of those things that, yeah. Um, so I want to, so I know we've been talking a while and um, so we're sort of running a bit shorter on time, but I do want to touch on the practicalities of being a parent um, and being being with a partner who also works full time and yourself working full time. How did how did like divvying up the time with your kids? How looking after your kids worked? Uh, how did you care. do with childcare? What was your experience on doing that? And how how did how was your relationship? Uh, with your partner affected and work in that situation now? Yeah, I mean, that is a ongoing. Um, yes. <laughs> that is an ongoing. Like even just last night, Ben and I were having some very intense conversations. I mean, I think this year in particular with the pandemic has yeah. just added a whole nother layer on top of everything else because we are not getting as we're not getting the same level of support that we were. And we also don't have the option to hire babysitters like we did before, you know, everything is, it's very different. So I almost feel like I have to answer that question in the context of kind of like pre-pandemic. And now we are in the very much like in the pandemic now. um, This is a very normal way of answering questions in 2020, isn't it? You have, well, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, it will be this. Usually, but but at the moment. (laughs) Yeah. I know I, I kind of, I want to ask you, like, do you mean like now in 2020? <laughs> Both, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Whatever it's been for yeah. you. Gosh, I feel, and I feel like I'm going to look back at this year, 2020, and just think, like, I, I think I'll think in a way, kind of like I reflect back on that time when I was a third year resident and I had twins that were in the NICU. And I think back now, like, gosh, like, how did I do that? how did I do that? And I almost think I'm going to look back on this year too and ask that same question in a very real way. Like, how did we do that? We had a one and a half year old. We had two, two six-year-olds who were in both in virtual kindergarten, full-time virtual kindergarten, which I can just say, Holy cannoli. virtual kindergarten is not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, mom to like two virtual kindergartners and also a one and a half year old and also a full-time physician and medical director now over all of our ambulatory care. I'm the leader of our health systems ambulatory COVID efforts. We are testing and treating a lot of patients outpatient with COVID infections. And so, I mean, just balancing all of that right now is just, um, and I I don't even like the word balance. I feel like work-life balance is just, it's a misnomer in and of itself. Like there is no balance a lot of the time. right it's just like it's just a work life jumble. i don't know jumble yeah. <laughs> yeah uh so i anyway i feel like it's just a constant constant um sort of need for high level executive decision making and functioning and constant i mean i yeah i feel like it is incredible like the work we do as co-parents in a household and I mean, we don't even have that many, three kids, I guess, is a lot of kids these days, because um, it's all relative and culturally, statistically, it is a lot for our country. But I don't even feel like we have that many kids. Like, we, I feel like our lives are really not that difficult or complex on some level. 
but I think just being two working parents. So if I was going to answer, you know, logistically, so realistically, um, yeah, how, how does it work? So we, I outsource a lot, of course, like I, Ben does a lot. I think, I think all fathers uh, in relationships where there's a physician mother that works full time, um, do a lot. And I also think that fathers of twins of, of, uh, when, when there's multiples do a lot, they do a lot more of the parenting. So it was helpful in some ways to be a twin mama, because I think instantly I had to learn quickly that it was okay to outsource. Like you cannot meet all the demands of two newborns at once. And so I think very quickly, like I became okay with like other people caring for my babies, other people holding my babies, other people feeding my babies. Um, actually, when Nico, our third baby was born, um, Ben actually voiced a lot of like, like I want to feed him more. Like I, I want to do like, he wanted to bond in the same way that he bonded with the twins because he was sort of missing and, and like feeling like, and it was so sweet, right? It was so sweet. Yeah. And he is an amazing partner. Like I just really feel like I am so fortunate in life to have such an amazing partner in all this. I really am. Um, he's incredible. So, I mean, I think a lot of it is him too. I kind of re refer to him jokingly, lovingly as my secret weapon, because I feel like there's a lot of situations where like, there's no way I could do what I do and be able to like drop everything and take hospital call and go take care of sick babies. And um, there's no way I could do all that and, and be the leader I am in healthcare without having a husband who is so dedicated, who's so supportive, who's a, you know, great, like with meal prep and shopping and um, helping with kids and, that's great. I mean, it also opens my eyes to like, this is often like the mother's role, right? Like moms are often taking a lot of those duties and I still take on a lot of household duties. I think it's still hard for me to do self-care and let go of things. And, um, you know, I'm still, so that's why I say it's very much like alive and ongoing. And I think especially in this 2020 year is, I mean, it's just constant. Um, it is constant. Yeah. How do you feel? I mean, you mentioned that you have been very much a leader medically in since graduating and you're the medical director how do you feel like being a mom has affected your goals and your trajectory in medicine and has it changed any of the things that you decided to pursue or how you decided to pursue them So I think on some level, my goals have not necessarily changed. I think my goal was always to make a difference. I mean, I had these kind of big, broad goals. And I also think that my personal goals were to, um, to have kind of leadership and community involvement beyond, um, you know, my, my basic doctoring to actually be an excellent clinician in terms of providing direct. I, I knew I wanted like at the heart of everything to really be a good physician and take care of patients really well and excel in that. And then my third goal for myself was that I wanted to be a teacher in my job. And I feel like I've been able to kind of um, keep all three of those. Um, maybe I am realizing, and as I get into my motherhood journey, that um, community is really important too. And I think I underestimated that previously. Like, I don't think I included that in my three goals of um, being an excellent clinician, um, being like a leader and kind of involved in engaged in community in uh, community service on a broader level and then um, like on a systems level and then teaching. I don't I don't think I fully kind of embraced also on top of that is like this need for 
um, broader sense of community and and family support too. Um, yeah, so I think, I mean, I think I've changed my vision slightly in terms of seeing that there's sort of this bigger circle around my three goals and of I also need to have support and that's really critical to everything. Yeah. And on the opposite side, how do you feel like being a mom and being a doctor has affected your role as a mom and how you interact with your kids and your family and how your family dynamic runs? Well, I think being a physician mother, um, because, because of all the demands that, um, that we, you know, we all have to juggle constantly. Um, I feel like it's made me great at being able to sort of um, delegate and time manage and have those conversations constantly. And I also think I'm a very, I've, I've kind of learned how to be very organized. Like I have my own, probably all moms have their own like little secret mechanisms to like not forget things and remember. Cause there's so many little like random, you know, things that you have to remember to do. And especially now that I have kids that are older in elementary school, like just things that are constantly coming at you. Like you have to remember like this for this child's class and this for that child's class. And like this, like, and the lunches and the this and the that and <laughs> the like, you know, teacher's birthday. And, you know, it's just, there's so many little things, right? It's just like, it's really overwhelming at times. And so I feel like you become um, really good at sort of executive functioning <laughs> um, and to-do lists. And like, I have all these lists, you know, keeping track of all these things and then shared lists so that, you know, like, Ben can, we can share some of the household and the, the duties that need, you know, just all these things that need to be done. Like I have my checklist today, like right after I get off this interview, I have two phone calls I have to make that have to do with, you know, family household needs. And I mean, there's constantly stuff that comes up that has to be taken care of. And we're, you know, we're balancing that and like, you know, who's, who's got, it's kind of like a, I don't know, I feel like we're like playing a sports game or something. And it's yeah. like, you know, like you got this, like, you know, we're passing the balls. Like, are well, you going to do this? Am I going to do this? And um, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of, I, I kind of feel like I long for the time where like we, a lot of our conversations and time together were not spent like having those. But I also feel like it's just a necessity of life right now where like that is, oh, look at, look at that. Like you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you all probably relate to all this, right? Like it's just, um, yeah. it's sort of a necessity of life right now that that's kind of what it means. And I think being a physician mom makes me very good at talented at taking a lot in, like drinking from the fire hose every day and sorting it out and like figuring out the, like triaging what needs to be done um, first and second and third. And I mean, you're just really naturally very good at that. Like from when you were in residency and you had like a million things and then you like figured out like what checky boxes you need to make so you didn't forget to order morning labs and stuff. I mean, it's kind of the same sort of executive functioning skills that I feel like are very good at, in motherhood too. Um, and, you know, I mean, to some extent too, just like from a practical standpoint, I also feel like being a physician mother, like being put through sort of rigorous training and, and uh, sleep schedules. And like, I actually feel like I cope really well with sort of situations where my sleep gets disrupted now um much better than a lot of people I know like I am great at like I kind of know what I, I know what my sleep needs are like my minimum sleep needs and I feel like I'm great at like you know if one of the kids gets sick in the middle of the night and and then of course um 
you know, you're great as a physician mom at handling like just illnesses and things. And, you know, I, I try not to wear that hat of like, I'm trying to be a doctor for my own. I try not to be a doctor for my own children because I think it's not something I can do objectively and well. So I've learned to like quickly, like outsource that to our own personal physician, which is so lovely. Um, but I also feel like, you know, on some level, I don't have as much stress with dealing with some of those little things that come up. And like in, in this pandemic year, for example, like, you know, our kids have had fevers and coughs and um, it's been stressful, especially as like a mom who's, working with COVID patient, but like, you know, I, I kind of know what to do, like, and I know how to get my kids COVID tested. And so like on some level, I feel like I'm really well equipped for managing a lot of the health related issues that come up in our household. I like the, um, the, it's hard to balance not being a doctor for your own kids, but also being able to triage your own kids as medically medical needs and be like, okay, this is really just Rosiola and I'm not going to call the PCP right now, or I'm not actually sure what's going on. And like, I'm actually going to like, not try to like clinically go through all of this and just like call the PCP. And, and I think that's something that I personally really struggle with, like not doctoring my own kids and I'm getting better with it over time, but it's, it's good to hear that it's not just me. Well, we didn't have the good oh, stuff because I was, I was sick for quite a long time. So we yeah. ended up with this part of the relationship yeah. where Alice was kind of like my carer for a while and we're still trying to sort of break out of that habit of me being the doctor yeah. of the family and yeah. me just being like wife and mom and not being doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I think again, I mean, I think knowing your own role and knowing what to outsource and you just get better at that too and more okay with it too. I mean, I think now, um, I, I guess I didn't go into it before, but like we, we very much have childcare for our kids right now. I mean, we have to. Well, I'm um, assuming has so because reduced... we don't have screaming children behind you. So <laughs> well, actually, I think I did hear my kids a few times during this because they are currently on Zoom school in my house and I'm in my bedroom right now. So um, I, they, it, it is kind of miraculous that they're not, I locked the door so they can't run. Into I'm not saying that I don't have screaming kids right now behind me, <laughs> but it, it is, but, you know, I think, um, I think that we do very much need, we have a lot of childcare needs as two working parents. And then to be honest, Ben has reduced his work hours this year. That was something that he negotiated with his own employer. That was kind of a 2020 thing where like, it just, we weren't going to be able to piece together childcare for over 40 hours a week. And he really has to do a lot of the drop-offs and pickups because of, I work, um, you know, I, I commute and I work at a rural health clinic that is 30 minutes away. And so, um, you know, he, I can't be there to drop off the kids and pick them and up. you're also running care. the COVID efforts at your work. Like you're in an important it's gonna pandemic be a lot role. Of yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think my job has like kind of been elevated, especially now with the pandemic and, um, and I think actually that's kind of been hard on, on Ben too, because he very much loves his career. And yeah. um, so, you know, I, but I think a lot of couples are in, are having those conversations right now. I mean, when that's the practicality piece, like when you become parents, I think it, it dawns, you just realize that just from a logistical standpoint, you have to, because of the unpredictability of it, you have to know like whose job is the priority, right? Um, like you have to pick one because if everything goes poorly and something terrible happens and, you know, the daycare is shut down or the child is sick or like somebody's got to be home with them and it, it 
isn't going to be both parents. And, you know, I just like from a logistical standpoint, I think you do have to make these very difficult decisions of like whose career is one and whose career is two. And, you know, it just, it is. And so, um, you know, that in, in our relationship, my career is like, I am, um, you know, the, the majority of the breadwinner for our family and I am in like the top priority. And, but I do feel like that comes with like some tensions sometimes for us and it's very challenging. And so, you know, Ben has reduced his schedule. Um, we have our infant still in daycare. We ended up, we actually did some different childcare programming, but we had a very tough year where um, we had a lot of turnover with childcare um, and just center closures and suddenly, and it was very stressful. And we, when we learned that our school was going to be all virtual, we decided to hire a full-time nanny. So we now have, she's downstairs with our kids in virtual school, our older kids. And then my son is still in daycare full-time. That sounds like, I mean, I think for a lot of people, 2020 childcare balancing all over the place has been a huge problem, but I think it's really real to, and, and this is actually a conversation I remember having with my program director in the past, that it's really real as a woman who's married to someone who's not in medicine to um, verbalize that your careers are not always going to be equal in their, I mean, they're very important in different ways, but in whose career gets the time advantage, at least right now, it, it is going to be me. And I mean, it's it, also very easy to be you because well, I'm a professional musician and there is no work, but. <laughs> well, yes. So that's a different problem in 2020. Yeah. But like, even prior to pandemic, it was always like, well, I can't just leave work and that's just not an option. Yeah. Um, and being, yeah. being able to be in a, a marriage and a partnership where you can be open about that and also manage to respect each other's needs as a professional and as in career growth, but also know that like, it's not always going to be equal and that is hard, but it's just true. And it's, it's really it's, nice to hear you verbalize that because I think that's something we struggle with a lot. It's the, it's the openness and the conversations that you need to keep having. It, it's, not, it's not a one-time thing. It's a conversation yeah. you need to keep having. And obviously this has come up again much more during COVID and just like if you, as, as a couple, and you just need to speak to each other and like mm -hmm. let talk about things. Don't just hold things in and like be open about what's happening and emotions and then that really does help a lot because it, it is very hard being a partner to a, a doctor well and <laughs> I remember once talking to my my program director's husband where he said it's hard being a partner to a doctor because no matter what goes wrong in my day your day can always be worse like I can have a horrible day at the office but you could have like patients died and like yeah. you can't trump that and it's yeah. it's true and so just being like mindful in your partnership that like Things are not always going to be equal, but it doesn't mean that they're not both important. They're just going to be different. Yeah, my, my hard day doesn't involve death, but it might still be personally a hard yeah, day Yeah, it still is a hard day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think we hold so much. We just carry so much. Um, and and, I, and I, I would agree. I think, um, you know, I think my husband too, I've sort of learned that, that, um, you know, I need to be receptive and kind of, to, to where he's at and what he's experiencing. And there, I think there are a lot of things that we hold as physicians that 
nobody, it's kind of like parenthood. Like you can't understand unless you actually do it. And so I, I think I've also become more in tune with um, how, like, what are the things that I'm experiencing and who, how do I compartmentalize like my, with my relationships? Like what's my role with my partner and my husband? Like what's my role with family members and friends? And I, I don't always get it right, but you know, who are the people that I can talk with about certain things that I'm carrying and holding? And I think I'm more mindful and careful now to, well, I may be just more knowledgeable about like, what are the topics and things that I that I am able to share with my partner. And then maybe some of those things that I'm carrying, I actually save and I share those with a colleague or a professional friend of mine who kind of can understand the clinical aspect of it. Because there's a lot of things like, just like you were saying with um, patient deaths and hard things that we carry with patient cases that I'm not gonna talk to my partner about ever. at this point. And because, you know, I just, there's an element, I think that you, and, and that's, you know, that's what makes it, there's a lot of jobs out there like that too. I mean, I, I can imagine like being a police officer or um, working as a counselor or therapist, like, you know, there's just so many things. Um, I think what's made it especially hard for us is that I am married like to, I'm married to someone who's also a healthcare worker. Like he's a registered dietitian. Um, and, and so that kind of gets, you know, it, Right now in the middle of a pandemic, I feel like being a primary care doctor and being somebody who is a medical director and leading um, ambulatory COVID care, that gets elevated um, and is more important from a society perspective. But like, he's also an essential worker. He also, like his healthcare center is open and, and he is expected to come to work and is, you know, they really value him and need him. And both of our organizations are short staffed right now and struggling because everybody is right now with with the pandemic. And a lot of people have actually tried to exit healthcare because of lack of societal support with childcare or other reasons or health issues. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it just makes it even more difficult on us. Um, And I guess the other thing I wanted to comment on is, you know, let us remember too that, um, you know, we, I feel like part of this too is that we sort of lack societal support. Like we do not have universal childcare. Um, we, right now, I feel like I can't really depend on the public school system. <laughs> um, I mean, they are all virtual for my children right now, which in a household with two essential healthcare workers, like that would not be feasible for us without full-time hired childcare support. And, you know, gratefully we, we have found someone who's wonderful. Um, and childcare workers, like they are so valuable, but not really, um, you know, a profession that I think is subsidized and valued enough in our country. I, I just think that we lack some societal supports that would make it a lot easier for physician mothers and healthcare worker mothers. And it's really something I've been in tune with this year in 2020 that um, the, the struggles that I'm having right now, a lot of those are actually founded in the fact that we don't really have good structure in place to support working mothers. Um, And I think, you know, we've seen that in a lot of data kind of society-wide about, and and we're kind of in a unique situation in our family where we have two, we did have two full-time healthcare worker parents and three small children. Um, And now, you know, my husband's still almost full-time. He just has slightly reduced his schedule. So, but it's, you know, it's just a very, it's a very tricky thing. And I just wanted to make the point that it's um, a lot of these struggles 
like they could be different if we had some different societal structures in place. That is so incredibly true. There's, yeah. there's in so many aspects of, of how the country's run and how medicine is run too. It's just mm-hmm. this very, very old stereotype of the working father, the, the stay-at-home mum. And that is just a big societal piece of sexism, which is just not being budged. It's just not the, re- it's set up for something that, which is, which is not our current reality. And it works really well in like a one in like dad is the doctor and mom stays home and does full-time childcare and runs the household and does the virtual schooling if you need to. But it doesn't work when, when, like you say, you have two, two parents who are full-time essential workers and need to go to work because society is depending on them, but then society isn't paying them back with what they need to be able to go to work. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I was actually, I mean, I've done a lot of reflecting about, you know, do I know at this point in my career, do I know very many couples where the mom is a full-time working physician and the, you know, and the partner is also working full-time doing anything outside the house. And I don't, I don't actually, I mean, part of that might be geographically where I am too, because I live in North Carolina and I think there's, you know, slightly lower cost of living. And so maybe if, you know, you just logistically don't need a dual income to have a home and function as a family um, compared with, you know, where I trained and where you are up in Massachusetts, where um, cost of living and things are a little bit different. And I, um, but actually just, you know, just to be honest, like, I don't know, I like, I can't even trying to think i just don't know very many i know a few but i just don't know very many families personally anyone who we know who uh like both physician parents who one of them doesn't work half part-time like oh i know quite a few quite a few people at my work where both mom and dad are physicians but they all have incredible amounts of family support or they have hired support but like a large amount of hired support um because you you need if you're both working full-time, you need at least a third person. You need somebody else who's basically there full-time because then now it needs to be a three-person marriage or not marriage, but you know. <laughs> yeah, that makes it a little bit more yeah. awkward. Hang on That's, a second. <laughs> I, phrased that, I phrased that incorrectly, but it needs to be, you need more. A partnership. Yeah, yeah, you need a bigger a bigger partnership. I totally know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you need a third person. Yeah. It's not a third person marriage, but you need a third person. Yeah. Yes. It's just like there's that amount of, you know, if you have two full-time working, especially healthcare parents, but probably any parents that are in full-time, really demanding careers, high-level functioning careers, like you need a third person, a third <laughs> adult. I mean, this is, yeah. this is why we feel so lucky to be able to have an au pair because, uh, uh, again, like we were saying earlier, in normal times, my, my job would be crazy and unpredictable in hours and things like that. And there was absolutely no way we, we could have done it without having like hiring a third person to work because yeah. it's just not doable. And even during COVID, it's just meant that you could still have a career at all yeah. because without full-time live-in childcare, there was just no chance that you'd have a oh, single minute to work. Yeah. There would just be no work. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think au pair is a great option. Yeah, I mean, especially so yeah, twenty twenty as well. Like having having your your childcare live with you makes it the whole thing so much safer. Yeah, <laughs> we've been so lucky. Yeah, 
So I know that you have, you have pressing engagements on your time and, and so do I, I need to also get to clinic. Um, but I Imagine do have that Dr. Mama's with engagement. <laughs> I know, right. I do have a couple of questions, just wrap up questions that I want to ask if that's okay. Sure. So what is one piece of advice that you would give to young women who are thinking of pursuing a career in medicine, who also want to pursue motherhood? Yeah, I, I don't know that I really have advice to give. I feel like I am sort of anti-advice. I mean, I think I would just say like, maybe, maybe I'll say that favorite phrase that the OBGYN said to me, which is, you don't have to breastfeed. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you really don't. <laughs> I, I like that. That was meaningful for me. So um, I'll just say that. I like that. I, we, we have one of the doctors who's one of my, one of my um, amazing attendings at work, who's a mentor for me. Um, she's a lactation consultant and she, or she's an MD, but also a registered lactation consultant. And she does lactation clinic for us at work. And she says, sometimes what she just needs to tell mom is it's okay to stop. Like when, when women have been working so hard and trying to maintain this breastfeeding relationship and pumping and, and it's just not working. And all she does is just give them permission to say like, you don't have to do this anymore. This is insane. So I really like that. You can just, you can tell people, you know, you don't have to do this. We have formula. Formula is fine. It will nourish your child. Yeah. It's okay to outsource. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> All right. And then one final question. Um, one thing that listeners can do once a day to make them 1% stronger, be it physically, emotionally, academically, or socially. Yeah. So I do this thing that I started when I was a medical student. Actually, I was inspired by a friend of mine. Um, and I have this little basket at my desk at work and I have 365 words in the basket that are sort of descriptors of God or divine, or but I think you could do it with anything. Um, and I love this basket. So I just, I don't have a specific ritual with it or anything like it's not a regular, but like when I need it, um, I, I will like select a word out and I like just stick it on my desk. And it's sort of like a power word for me. And I think you could do it with any sort of phrase or, or verses or quotes, or you could do it with anything. I mean, my structure is so simple, because it's just literally like just one like just words. It's just 365 words. Um, and I love, I just love this for, it really helps me. It makes my day just a teeny bit better. Cause when I'm ever having like probably a couple times during the week, I'll, I'll like pick out a word. Like recently I picked out undying. It was so lovely. That is so nice. <laughs> and I was like, yes, like that is a great word for this week. You know, I don't just like, it just helps kind of give me some good energy and focus and, and I think it's just grounding. It's a grounding practice. I think whatever, you know, whatever grounds you, which is probably different for different humans, but that's one thing that's been super easy. It's not like I have to add in an extra exercise routine. It doesn't really take any time, but to just have that little basket that I can go to that helps me to be grounded in literally like one second is really lovely. That was so lovely. I think I want to, I want to get some words or something like that. That sounds like such a good idea. Yeah. Make a little basket for yourself. It takes, it takes a little time to set it up, but then, I mean, really it's easy. Like you just like print, I printed it out on word and then I like just printed it and then I cut it out with scissors and I just threw it in a little basket. And anyway, it's just so nice. I close my eyes. I just like, it's, it's a, it's a nice experience. I pick one word out and then like, it's so lovely. 
Well, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Liz. And thank you for taking the time to talk with us today and share your amazing story. You're welcome. It was an honor. Thank you. Well, anything else that you want to share with us before we, before we say goodbye? I'll just say thank you again for elevating the stories of working mothers out there. I think that that is something that we need to hear more of. And I really value that you're doing that. Well, thank you. That's so kind of you. All right. So have a wonderful day. You take care. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Liz, for that beautiful interview. Really, really fascinating and just wonderful to hear how superhuman she is just dealing with twins through pregnancy and through uh, having them in real life. That's amazing. It was so emotional to hear about her story of having kids in the NICU as well. I remember when our second child was born, he had to be in special care for, it was just a week. It was like, like medically, in hindsight, it was not a big deal at all. But at the time, I was just sobbing. Going home from the hospital without him just felt so wrong. And imagining doing that with two babies who were so significantly sick and for a whole month and going back to work, I, I just can't even imagine. That's, it, yeah, I can't imagine how much of an emotional toll that would take. Yeah. That's incredible. And I also, it was really interesting hearing her perspective from relationships both work relationships and a relationship with a partner as well and you know having those open conversations about things and I thought that was that was really fascinating yeah just hearing about how how much they prioritize communication and how much she has prioritized that within the many different facets of her life and how that can really help build the community and the marriage that you need to be able to raise a family and work as a doctor and make everything all fit together. Well, I like what she said as well is trying to establish who you can talk to about certain things. Yeah. Like I, as a partner, I want to I want to know a lot of things and I want to be really supportive, but there are some things that I just can't, understand in the same way I, ca I can't mm -hmm. have that relationship of understanding with you like I I've ex we, we've all experienced death to a certain extent in families and friends but losing patients and dealing with so much death and so much severe illness is something that I can't comprehend in the same way and so it's really useful to be able to go and find those networks of people you can sort of have support from and then have emotional support from your partners in other ways because I yeah there's only so much explaining of the situation you can do before it doesn't feel like it's working, you know? Yeah. Just acknowledging that like there are, it's okay to have different avenues of support for different parts of your life. And, and that's all right. And it's not talking about like keeping secrets and not no. saying anything. It's just different levels of emotional yeah. support. And you know, like that's, I, I, I suffer from chronic pain conditions and, like I, I attend a chronic pain support group because that's a load of people who understand things that I'm feeling. And I understand that like you understand the science behind chronic pain uh, to enough, but you haven't, you don't have the don't knowledge of what it's like to have that. And so I feel like I hadn't really made that connection before until this interview. And it really, it really 
does i think is really valuable for your mental health to be able to reach out to your support communities and for the things that people can relate to I just want to clarify that I don't understand the science behind chronic pain because nobody does. Well, that's you, you know what sorry. is understood. <laughs> I apologize that as a medical community, we have failed you and your comrades and we will work harder in the future. It is getting better. It's all right. Just keeps getting better. Okay, sorry. This is <laughs> a sign that we are ready to end this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we can't wait to bring you the next episode in 2021. And thank you for sending in all of your wonderful feedback and your stories and we love to read them we love to hear from you keep bringing them in i want to as as i frequently seem to on this podcast i want to give another special shout out to my co-residents who are so amazing and give me all of the positive and constructive feedback you said this last week and I you know. haven't told me the constructive yet are you too scared to what, what are they saying about me they love you everybody loves you and they all love your accent well, yeah, yeah that, that's my that's my unique selling point in this country. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm back in the UK, it's not the same. <laughs> no. And then I remember being in the UK and everybody asking if I knew Hannah Montana. So, you know, <laughs> accents, accents go their own special ways. It's all right. Anyway, goodbye. Anyway. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. See you, friends. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. The Dr. Mama podcast is presented by Alice Kaufman and produced, mixed and edited by Alex Cumming, who also provided the original music. 